Today we'll be reading Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to the Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Those are the verses that we just read. We're looking at verses 18 through 21. This is our God's Amazing Promises teaching series. And this morning we're going to look at God's Amazing Promises for your personal revival. We're going to look at what it means to be spirit-filled living a spirit-filled life. Also want to welcome those of you that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to start by uh, tag-teaming with Pastor Matt on this prayer over the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I think that's really, really, really a big thing here. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's just take a moment. Let's once again go before the throne of grace. Father God, we celebrate the overturning of Roe versus Wade, although we cannot bring back the countless lives we have lost. A great injustice has been corrected. Countless lives will be saved by this decision. The opportunity for thousands of preborn babies to have the most fundamental human right, the right to live. We thank you, God, for the answer to our prayers and the work of our hands and declare Psalm 126.5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. May we redouble our efforts to care for the preborn babies, their families, and vulnerable children, all while offering the love and the hope of the gospel. May we be at the front lines of proclaiming that life begins at conception and all people are created in the image of God and are inherently worthy of care. And may we display with our lives that all people are precious in God's sight. In our glorious Savior's name, and everyone said, amen. So take a look at your sermon notes here. The Spirit-filled life is the most, is the most amazing life you could ever hope or dream to live this side of heaven. Spirit-filled life is one of, the, one of God's amazing promises that will personally revive you and help you to thrive in life, in life like nothing else. And so the more you live a spirit-filled life, the evidence will be supernatural. And you cannot help but be different. And the people in your life cannot help but notice. So here's two questions for you. Here's the first one that's on your nose. Could there be more to the Christian life than what you're currently living? Could there be more to the Christian life than what you're currently living? When was the last time you undeniably saw the Holy Spirit at work in you or through you? or around you? If you're having trouble recounting a time when the Holy Spirit was at work in you or through you or around you, perhaps that is because you have been maybe ignoring the Holy Spirit. You may have a lot of head knowledge of the Holy Spirit, but not much of a relationship with Him, interacting with Him regularly, consistently. Speaking to him, him speaking to you. I'll bet you that there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say that they've experienced the Holy Spirit's 
presence and power in their lives in the last year. Now, why is that? Because the benchmark of success in many churches has become more about attendance and performance than the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want here. We want it to be more focused on Him than anything else. See, when we come to church to be entertained rather than to encounter Christ, we become self-focused consumers rather than self-sacrificing servants attuned, led, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. People are more likely to describe the quality of music or the appeal of the sermon rather than being moved to worship and in awe of the one we gather together for in the first place. I want you to leave here every weekend just captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. That's our goal. That's our goal every week. In fact, I'm convinced that you can actually be a Christian and not be spirit-filled. And I, I gave you some verses there. In John 20, 21 and 22, Jesus is with disciples post-resurrection. He breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. He actually says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then that's to be compared and contrasted to Acts 2, 1 through 4, where we see the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. The apostle... Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and he talks about natural people, people that, that don't know God, can't understand the things of the Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 2.14. Then he moves from the natural person to the spiritual person, and I think he's identifying really more of the Spirit-filled person in verses 15 and 16 of 1 Corinthians 2. And then he contrasts the Spirit-filled person with what would be called the carnal person. That's in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. All I'm saying is that you can know Christ, have a relationship with him, and be missing out on what it means to be spirit-filled. Man, I, I don't want you to cut yourself short. I want you to experience all that God has for you. And I'm telling you, learning what it means to be spirit-filled, that's where it's at. And that's what we're talking about here this morning. Nothing will revive you and energize you and engage you like learning what it means to be spirit-filled. So before we, we look at this text, unpack these notes, let's pray once again. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning. Father God, I pray that this Bible study, our worship in the study of your word, will draw us deeper into communion with your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, giving us a greater experience of his power and presence working in us and through us and all around us for your glory. <clears throat> in your son's glorious and beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So what does it mean to be spirit-filled? That's the question, first question we're looking at. Second question we're looking at is what does it look like to be spirit-filled? I think those two questions are answered in our text. <clears throat> and then we'll look at the fuller context of Scripture and we'll answer the question, how can I live a spirit-filled life? Those are the three questions we're looking at this morning. So here's the first one. What does it mean to be spirit-filled? It's based on verse 18 of our text, fifth chapter of Ephesians. Now, anytime you read a text, you always want to read it in the context. And so it's fascinating, the context here in this chapter. Keep in mind, as you go through Ephesians, first three chapters are really about the wealth that we have in Christ. The next three are about our walk. So the wealth always is before the walk. So the first three, riches of what we have in Christ the next three uh, chapters, four through six, is about our responsibilities. So he's talking about our responsibilities, talking about our walk here. 
keeping in mind the wealth and the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. He's talking to us about how we can begin to live that out. And so the context here, he says in verses 1 and 2, follow Christ in love. In verses 3 and 5, he says, avoid immorality and abstain from obscene language. Then verses 6 through 14, he says, don't be deceived, but walk in the light. And then in verses 15 and 17, Right up against our text, he says, don't be foolish, but know God's will. That's verses 15 and 17. And then he says, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, if you're going to pull this off, if you're going to live this kind of life that's different, you've got to be spirit-filled. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, though it may be called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.5, or the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38 and 10.45, or being filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.4, or the promise of the Father, Acts 1.8 or 2.39, or being clothed with power on high, Luke 24.49, these phrases are all describing the same experience Jesus foretold would come upon his disciples at Jerusalem. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, martyrs. You'll be willing to give your life for me. Now, this is not a one and done. You may have multiple, I hope you do, multiple experiences with the Holy Spirit where you're overwhelmed by the presence of God in your life. There should be those moments in your life you look back to and you go, oh my goodness, I knew God was speaking to me. He loves me. I'm overwhelmed with his presence. I, I pray that you walk in the reality of that daily. You're going to have multiple experiences like this, but I believe that this is... Uh, this spirit-filled life is something you should be seeking every moment of every day. Every moment of every day. In fact, when it says, and do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, you probably use that word debauchery every day, don't you? That's not a common word. It actually, the uh, New Living Translation just basically says, uh, do not be drunk with wine, that will ruin your life. That's debauchery. It'll just wreck your life. It's kind of a life out of control. But be filled with the Spirit. The idea here, it's in the present tense. It's saying, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something you should pursue moment by moment, every day. So notice Paul is making a contrast with being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. Now, why is that? Because we get from the Holy Spirit, we get from the Spirit-filled life what people go to the bottle to get. And so let's, let's look at this. The Spirit-filled life is like and unlike being drunk with wine. That's the first fill in the blank. It is like being drunk with wine. Both are under the influence, there's your next fill in the blank, both are under the influence or control of something or someone. The word drunk here, do not be drunk, the Greek is, means intoxicated, it means to be soaked, saturated, or dominated by. To be drunk is not how much alcohol you have, but how much alcohol has you, because there are people who can drink a lot of alcohol and that alcohol doesn't get a hold of them. My dad was kind of a functioning uh, alcoholic. He could drink a lot of vodka every day. He's pretty functional up, up to a, a, a limit and then it started getting the best of him. And you heard the testimony last weekend about my dad being set free from alcohol. But he, but he could take on a lot of alcohol before it got a hold of him. And so really when it means drunk, it means to be intoxicated. So some people can just barely drink any and they're intoxicated. So that's a little bit of the idea. So how does that compare to the Spirit-filled life? Well, this is what, how it compares. Being Spirit-filled does not mean that we receive more of the Holy Spirit. 
I know it sounds crazy. You're saying, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It almost sounds like we're inviting more of the Holy Spirit here, but it's actually not getting more of the Holy Spirit. But we give him more of ourselves. It's more about giving more of ourselves to him. As we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit, he has greater freedom to work in and through our lives in order to better exalt and glorify Christ. So spirit-filled life is really coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit. More and more of our life coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 talks a lot about the spirit-filled life. Uses language like this. Live by the Spirit, verse 16. Be led by the Spirit, verse 18. Galatians 5, verse 25. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And when we do all of that, it tells us in verses 23 and 24 that we will experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. By show of hands, how many know what I'm talking about when I say the fruit of the Holy Spirit? So when we are Spirit-filled, we're going to experience more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That'll be more evident in our life. That's what it's talking about there in the fifth chapter of Galatians. So it is like being drunk with wine. Both are under the influence or control of something or someone. Both also, here's the next one, both make you courageous and happy. Okay? So I was at Phoenix Fire Station 10 for quite a number of years where I served a, served a lot of my time over there. Sounds like I was in prison, doesn't it, when I say it like that? But uh, I served a lot of my time over there. I was serving. Uh, and so when we were over there, they would move us up from time to time. We'd run a lot of calls up Grand Avenue. How many are familiar with a place called Mr. Lucky's? Show of hands. Okay. Remember Mr. Lucky's? Years ago, they had the upper room, lower room. They had rock and roll. I don't know which one was which because I never went there. But they had rock and roll in the top stairs, upstairs, and downstairs they had country or vice versa, whatever. But it was a hangout place for a lot of people. And so they had these live bulls there for a while. Bull riding, live bulls, not the mechanical one, but they built a pin out the side of uh, Mr. Lucky's and they'd have us come over there and stand by because lo and behold, a cowboy would end up getting hurt. And they're not supposed to drink. They would sign off a little waiver that they hadn't had anything to drink. I'll guarantee you they were drinking, okay? And so they had some bleachers over there, but we would park our truck in such a way and we'd stand up on the hose bed and watch them. There's a couple times I laughed so hard, I almost fell off the truck. And I shouldn't be laughing at guys getting hurt. But I just realized, I go, these guys, they get liquored up. They're all happy. They're real courageous. They're really dumb. And... And they get on these bulls and they look like rag dolls on these bulls. Have you ever seen a cowboy do that? They're not supposed to be riding like that. Boom, 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 boom. Bouncing their head off the, the post around there. He's laying out in the middle. The, the bull tramples him. And we're laughing. Okay. Now, we weren't laughing. We were running in there to try to help him. We are trying to help him. But that's, they were courageous and happy. I'll tell you what, alcohol can do that. People get really courageous. And they get really happy. Here's... Here's the contrast here. It's, it's quite interesting. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the Holy Spirit fell on the first followers of Christ, they were courageous and happy. You see, keep in mind that these followers of Christ were kind of huddled up and hiding until Christ was resurrected. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness, they were so filled with joy, they couldn't keep it to themselves. They were so courageous, they were willing to go out there and, and, and be martyrs if they needed to be for the cause of Christ, for who Christ is. Yeah, I mean, it changed them. It transformed their lives. 
They were courageous and happy. And literally it says there in chapter 2, and we kind of focus on the tongues part, and that's certainly a gift of the Holy Spirit. But what they're doing more than anything is that they are declaring the mighty works of God. Verse 11, and then verses 12 and 13, all were amazed and perplexed, but others mocked said and saying, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. Because it, it looked similar. These people are too happy and too courageous. And there's a crowd that gathers, and then, of course, Peter stands up and begins to proclaim the gospel. Remember, Peter was the one that denied Christ three times. Now he's happy and bold, and he's proclaiming the gospel. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Here's the next thing. It is unlike being drunk with wine. It is unlike. So it's like being drunk with wine. Both are under the influence or control of something or someone. Both make you courageous and happy. But it is unlike being drunk with wine. Being drunk decreases your sense of reality. That's why you're happy and courageous. The word debauchery here, the Greek, is a wasted, uncontrolled, immoral life. So in Luke 15, 13, remember the prodigal son, the younger brother who took the father's wealth, took the family's wealth, and went out and squandered it, squandered his property, and literally it says reckless living. That's the same word, debauchery, reckless living. So a person who is drunk squanders his life or her life. A person who is drunk squanders their life. Now, what's interesting about that is not just being drunk on alcohol. You can be drunk on work, porn, video games, shopping, parenting, romance, and waste your life. That's the point. It's about being intoxicated with anything other than Christ, being under the influence of anything other than Christ. Interesting story in Luke 12, 15, Jesus with his disciples and someone from the, the crowd says, Jesus, split the inheritance. Help us to split the inheritance between my, my brother and I. We're fighting over my inheritance. And so Jesus says something quite profound there. He says in Luke 12, 15, he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, covetousness, desiring after the things that you don't have more than you would desire after the things of God. Beware of all kinds of covetousness because real life and real living does not consist in the abundance of your possessions or what you have. Listen to what he's saying. Listen, this is important. He's saying, you're not going to find your happiness in created things, only the creator. This is what he's saying. And if you do that, you try to find your happiness in created things, you're going to waste your life. That's the point that he's making here. In fact, Jesus tells the story of the parable of the rich fool. And man, this guy was successful. Everybody in the world would have said, Woo, look at the life he lived. And at the end of the life, he dies. And written over his, his grave marker were these words by God. You fool. You fool. You wasted your life. He had a lot of success. Bigger homes, bigger cars, all kinds of things. Invested his money appropriately. Oh my goodness, he was unbelievably wealthy in the things of this world. And, and this, this section, this parable of the rich fool ends like this, verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for themselves and is not rich towards God. All the money in this world, all the wealth in this world, all the success in this world, whatever it is, does not come close to what we have in Christ. So the wasted life is loving and living your life for anything more than Christ. He's saying that's the wasted life. That's a life of debauchery. So it is unlike being drunk with wine. Being drunk decreases your sense of reality. So you're decreased. So you start chasing the things of this world. You have a decreased sense of reality. You are missing out 
on the greatest reality that is that you were created by God for God to give glory to God and to live for him. That's the greatest reality of all. In fact, being spirit-filled increases your sense of reality. Being filled with the spirit is the opposite of debauchery and wasted life. It's, it's living a, a life that matters, that counts because you're living for his glory. It is a life of discipline and balance and maturity for God's glory. Most people think of the spirit-filled life as weird, wild, and out of control emotions. They think of some kind of bizarre behavior. Physical manifestations have been common in history of revivals, but should not be the focus. Certainly when God shows up in a powerful way, there can be a lot of interesting things happen, but the focus should be on exalting Christ and the transformation of people's lives. Spirit-filled life is a life under control, your body, your time, your tongue, your emotions, using gifts and seeing lots of fruit in your life. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of self-control, sound mind. You're more in touch with reality. Now, I gave you a bunch of examples of this. It's just absolutely, I, I just, I, first of all, let me just say this once again. I love God's word, okay? I absolutely love God's word. And when you study it, I, I'm lit up with God. I just love his word. But when you study through the book of Acts, if you want an example of the spirit-filled life, study through the book of Acts. The Acts is titled the Acts of the Apostles. I think they're wrong in that. I think it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it's just, the, it's the early church that are just lit up with the, they're lit up with the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the Spirit of God working in the people of God or working through the Word of God in the people of God to make an impact in the world for God. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And I gave you some examples of what that looks like. I mean, they are courageous and filled with joy. And in fact, like I stated, chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, there's a crowd that gathers outside Peter goes outside, proclaims the gospel, and there's some 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Just absolutely amazing. And it tells us in chapter 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. I mean, community, they continue. They just want to get together in community. And there's just a, an explosive and a sense of the presence of God there. You see them. They're courageous. They're happy. They're filled with joy. And then in chapter 3 of Acts, you've got Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And they come across this lame beggar. And they pray for him and he's healed and it gathers this crowd and Peter once again proclaims the gospel. Remember, Peter's the guy that denied Christ three times. He's so full of courage and joy, he proclaims the gospel and there's another 5,000 people that come to faith in Christ. Now, the religious leaders do not like this. So they arrest these guys. They arrest Peter. Peter and John, and this is what it says in chapter 4, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, he begins to proclaim the gospel to them about the resurrected Christ. And this is what it says, this is what the rulers and leaders begin to say. They begin to look at Peter and John and they go, and it says this in verse 13 of chapter 4 of Acts, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they realized that they had been with Jesus. And so then they threatened Peter and John, say, hey, knock it off. You're attracting too many people to this Jesus. Knock it off. And this is what Peter and, James, or Peter and John say, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. They were so filled up with joy and happiness, they couldn't keep quiet. And then 
As you study on, so you got a bunch of people coming to faith in Christ. The next chapter, chapter 5 of the book of Acts, they this time arrest Peter and John. They beat them and they threaten them, charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus. This is verse 40 of chapter 5. And look at, listen to verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Is that crazy? Why? Because they're filled up with courage and joy. They're willing to give their life. I skipped a, a part of that. Is remember after the first time that they were arrested, they went back to their group of followers and they prayed and, and the Holy Spirit fell upon that group of followers. And it says in verse 31 of chapter 4, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they knew that persecution was coming and they did not back down. And I'm telling you this, persecution is coming to you as a believer here in a good old God bless America and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're going to face that. You need to be filled with the courage and the joy that only he can bring so that you can take a stand for Christ and the gospel. And, and that's part of the spirit-filled life. You can read more. Colossians 3, 16 and 17 compares being spirit-filled to being filled with the word of God because, uh, because you, he says, let the word of God dwell in you richly and then at the end of that you have the same results as you do here in Ephesians with the spirit filled life. So to be filled with God's word is the same thing as being filled with the spirit. Here's your next point in your notes. So spirit filled lives or hearts are ablaze with the truth of the beauty, splendor and glory of who Jesus is and what he's done that exceeds, outshines, more vivid, it's more real, it's more satisfying than all competing perspectives, passions and priorities. Woo, man, that's a big statement right there. That's crazy, that's true, that's 100% true right there. Spirit-filled lives are hearts ablaze with the truth. Man, you are just captivated by who Christ is and what he's done for you more than ever before. Now, John 16, maybe you're familiar with this. This is part of the upper room discourse. Jesus is hanging out with the disciples just shortly before he's going to be hanging on the cross. He knows that they're going to scatter like a bunch of rats jumping off a sinking ship. They're going to be quite frightened. And this is what he says in 16:33. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. We don't overcome the world through morality and self-discipline, but by seeing something more attractive and satisfying than the world. What's that? Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. You become so intoxicated with who Christ is and what he's done for you that you can't get him off of your mind. You can't get enough of him. That's the spirit-filled life. I mean, you want to experience more and more of him as you walk with him, as you live for him, as you, as you want to know him and make him known to others as you see in the book of Acts. Now, let me give you a little secret to my life. When my main focus is obedience, I'm least obedient. But when my main focus is enjoying God, I'm most obedient. When I'm finding my deepest satisfaction in him, I'm walking with him, I'm enjoying him, being led by him and the Holy Spirit. Hoo, hoo, hoo. Look out. 
When I enjoy him, when I'm intoxicated by him, when I'm captivated by him, when I'm fascinated by him, I'm able to overcome the world because he is better than any sin and he's bigger than any suffering I'll ever face. That's why Paul says to live as Christ, to die is gain. To live as Christ, that's a purpose worth living for. That's when you know you're not wasting your life, when you're living for him. You live your life for him. That is an unwasted life, filled up with him. Now, what does this look like to be spirit-filled? Verses 19 through 21 tells us this. Now, I put this at the top of your notes there. I think it involves increased uh, manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It gives you greater capacity to minister to people. The grace of God through your specific gift. You need to know what gifts God has given you to minister to others. So you'll see an increased capacity to share that gift with others to help people find their enjoyment in Christ. But also there'll be uh, an increased experience or manifestation of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Gifts have to do with ministry. Fruit of the Holy Spirit has to do with maturity. You'll see both of those increase as you are more and more filled with the Holy Spirit. But here's what we see in the text. I think this goes along with what I just said there. What does it look like to be spirit-filled? It is interaction with others that is edifying and healing. That would be love. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What are psalms? That's scripture. What are hymns? Songs or poems of praise to God and statements of faith. What are spiritual songs? That's Holy Spirit-led encouragement and love. So think about this. This is talking to others about the greatness and the goodness of God. I don't know how in the world... You could be spirit-filled and not want to tell other people about Christ and be, begin to share about the greatness and the goodness of God. I don't know how you can spend time in the throne room of this indescribable God, an unimaginable, indescribably great God, an unimaginably good God, and not want to share that with others. It becomes almost an overflow of your life. You want to help people in that. What does it look like to be spirit-filled? Interaction with others that is edifying and healing. So let me ask you this, is that true about you? Is your interaction with others edifying and healing? Acts 4.20, remember? Peter, Peter and John, they couldn't keep, keep quiet. They said, hey, knock it off. Quit talking about this man, Christ Jesus. We can't help but talk about him. I can't help but talk about him. Proverbs 12.18 says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do your words bring healing to others? If not... You're not spirit-filled, and you can be. You just, at that moment, you recognize that and go, God, please, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want everything that I say and do is edifying and healing to others. Lord, let me be a vessel of that to others. Here's the next one. A song in your heart from the delight of living in God's presence. This is joy. What does it look like to be spirit-filled? A song in your heart from the delight of living in God's presence. Joy. Look at verse 19b. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is a person who is not talking about God but communicating with God. Making melody to the Lord with your heart. It is to live... Listen, it is to live in the presence of God with such delight that there is a song in your heart. Psalm 4, 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You hear what the writer's saying, the psalmist? is saying, oh, man, I have so much joy in you, in your presence, in my life, knowing you, interacting with you. It's better than all the treasure in this world, all the success, 
all that everybody else has. See, the Christian life is finding your pleasure in God and feeling God's pleasure in you. Do you, have you, do you have those experiences where you feel God's pleasure that he has in you? Did you know that? He adores you. He rejoices over you. In Christ Jesus, it's amazing what we have in him. You need to be able to feel his pleasure in you. That's life transforming. Believe me, that'll put a song on your heart. When you hear ringing deep in your soul, you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased from the God of the galaxies. That's amazing. Okay, what does it look like to be spirit-filled interaction with others that is edifying and healing? Song in your heart from the delight of living in God's presence. So you got love, joy. Here's peace. A life of thanksgiving to God always in everything. That's peace. So you got love, joy, peace. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always and for everything? That's not... That doesn't sound right, does it? I don't like that verse. I'm going to go ahead and mark that verse out of my Bible. I don't like it. I'm not going to give thanks. My girlfriend left me. My truck broke down. My dog died. Sounds like a country song, doesn't it? So all these bad things happen to you. You're probably not going to be singing zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. No, you're going to be ready to choke someone out when bad things are happening. How does this work out in our lives? How, how do you do this? What? Giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus. That sounds a little masochistic. I'm getting the heck beat out of me, but thank God. I don't think that's what he means by that. And there's churches that oftentimes would promote that. You go through, you're going through hell in your life and you come to church and he goes, put on a happy face. Come on, let's thank God for this. You better run from that church, okay? I mean, seriously, that's, that's, that is crazy. That doesn't make sense. So what does he mean by this, Pastor Ray? I'm glad you asked. I think trusting God, trusting God's loving, wise control of your life will fill you with peace that will overflow with thanksgiving in all circumstances. But sometimes we have to kind of work on that. And it's, it's not minus grief. Faith is not a denial of reality, but a declaration of God's love, joy, and peace in the face of that reality. You guys familiar with the, the life of Job? Book of Job? Remember what he did, first chapter? He lost all of his property, lost all 10 of his kids. He didn't say, he didn't sing zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. I mean, he didn't do that. No, what he did was that he ripped his clothes, shaved his head, fell on the ground. Imagine I come in on a weekend service and I rip my clothes, shave my head. I don't need to do that. But then, and then I throw myself on the ground. You think, he's losing it. And you would think Job is losing it. But if you listen to the text, he's grieving and he's sorrowful. And yet in the midst of that grief and sorrow, he has hope and joy. And he's getting to this place of thanksgiving. It's not a denial of reality. It's a declaration that we have a bigger reality in God. Listen to what it said here with Job. It said, first chapter, verses 21 and 22, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. 
And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Here's, here's my point. I was thinking about this. I was trying to work this out in my own life. And uh, faith is not the absence of questions, doubts, and fears, but it's bringing your questions, doubts, and fears to God. And to your family, your church family, saying, man, I'm sunk, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time. See, when church is an unsafe place for you to bring your questions, doubts, and fears, then those questions, doubts, and fears go underground. And questions, doubts, and fears thrive in the dark. This has got to be a safe place where we can be honest about our shortcomings. It tells us in James 5, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another, and you'll be healed. So I don't think in any way this is a denial of reality, but it's in the midst of our reality. Yeah, life is hard. Life is difficult. Yeah, I'm grieving this. It's taking some time for me to work through this. But in the midst of this, I still know that I have hope and I have joy in Christ Jesus, that he's still in control of my life and I'm looking to him. There's that balance. Um, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we grieve but not like the world grieves because we have hope. 2 Corinthians 6.10, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Those are not sequential. Those are simultaneously happening in our life. We have grief and yet we have hope. This is what's going on with Job and this is the thanksgiving he's talking about. That we don't deny reality. We accept the fact, but we have a bigger reality in Christ Jesus. And that way, that's why we can say, Psalm 136.1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever, 26 times in that chapter. And it covers every circumstance of our life. His steadfast love endures forever in the face of everything. That's the spiritual life. Here's the, here's the last one of this section. So, what does it look like to be spirit-filled? Here's the last one. A pouring out of your life in service to others. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We'll just add the rest of the fruit of the Spirit there. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So as I said at the very beginning, really spirit-filled people, people that encounter Christ, spirit-filled people are not self-focused consumers because they're so filled up with Christ. No, they're self-sacrificing servants attuned, led, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Their heart is overflowing. Love is the overflow of joy in Christ that gladly meets the needs of others. By the way, many of you do that really well here at Desert Breeze. I commend you. It's evident that your heart is filled up with the Holy Spirit because you guys give of your time, your talent, your treasure here through this church. We would not survive if it wasn't for you, for you living out your Christian life and being Spirit-filled. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.24, and this is the heart of ministry. This is a great definition of ministry. He says this, he's talking to the church in Corinth, not that we lord it over your faith. I'm not here to boss you around. Neither am I you. But I work with you for your joy in Christ so that your faith is solid and established. How's your faith solid and established? By you finding your deepest and most durable delight in Jesus. You're satisfied with him unlike anything else in your life. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be captivated, intoxicated, overwhelmed with the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Let that get a hold of your heart. It will transform your life. That's the idea here. And I'm here to help that to take place in your life. And that's what we do in ministry. When we step up and do ministry in the church, we want everyone to become fully devoted followers of Christ because we believe that when you do that, you're going to experience a fullness of life in him that is incomparable to anything you could experience apart from him in this world. So 
So the context, so the context at the front end of this idea of being spirit-filled is his personal life, our personal life, and then he goes into the interpersonal life. He just basically ends this book by saying spirit-filled Christians will show Christ in their marriage, parenting, work, warfare, and everyday walk. That's Ephesians 5 all the way to Ephesians 6, last verse of this book, verse 24. So how can I live a spirit-filled life? How can I do that? What do I need to do? Now, we're drawing from the fuller context of Scripture here. We're moving away from this text, looking at the fuller context of Scripture. And here's the first thing. Desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you know what awaits you in the Spirit-filled life, this would be the greatest desire of your life. Think about those things right now that you really desire. If I could just... If I could just reach retirement, if I could just get raised, if I could just help my kids do this or do that. Listen, this desire should, should be the greatest desire of your life. And then that will help you with all the other secondary desires. If you knew what awaits you in the spirit-filled life, this would be the greatest desire of your life. That's why in John 7, 37 through 39, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he's talking about the, the Holy Spirit. He's just saying, man, you're going to be satisfied your thirst is going to be quenched unlike anything else. So desire to be filled with the Spirit. Here's the next one. Pray for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I'll let you read these verses on your own. In fact, I would encourage you to read the rest of the verses around the context of each of these. But, but Jesus finishes this section by saying, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's what He says. So here's what I do. First of all, you guys know this. I have such a desire to know God and to experience him and for you to also have that great desire. That's the greatest desire in my heart. There's competing desires, no doubt. There's competing desires within my heart that I battle. And you're going to have the same thing. But man, when I'm able to win that war and God's able to win that war for my heart, my heart's deepest loyalties and affections, oh my goodness, I want him more than anything else. And then I pray for that every day. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, stir up that desire within me for you. I want to experience more of you. I want to know you. I want other people to know you. I want the people that I hang out with. Oh, Lord, I don't, I don't think they know you like they really could. They're really missing out. There's so much more that they could experience in their life. I want them to know you too. Lord, help me to know you so that I can make you known to them. So I begin to pray that. And then I begin to walk every day according to the Holy Spirit through spiritual disciplines. Now, Romans 7 is an interesting chapter. I would call it the portrait of a struggling Christian. I mean, he, he's like, ah, man, I don't know what to do. I, the things I do, I don't want to do. The things I need to do, I don't do. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? That's what he says. He's like, oh, you ever feel like that? Woohoo! I do. It's like, oh, my goodness. Please help me. It goes from chapter 7 to chapter 8. Chapter 8 is all about being spirit-filled. 18 times he uses the, the title Holy Spirit, 18 times, most in that book. It's the most time you're going to hear about the Holy Spirit. So you really want to understand what spirit-filled life is, read chapter 8. This is what he says in chapter 8, verses 5 through 6. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. So you can be a Christian and, and be setting your mind on the things of the flesh. Really? That's that carnal life that we talked about earlier. But he says, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Their minds are captivated by the Spirit. Their mindset is about knowing Christ and walking with Him and enjoying Him throughout the day. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So in spiritual disciplines, you guys know what those are, Bible study, prayer, 
hanging out at the church with other Christians, small group. In spiritual disciplines, your goal is not simply to read, to pray and read the Bible, but here's your goal. Your goal is to enjoy being with a person and then to take that person and that joy with you throughout the day. That's walking every day according to Holy Spirit through spiritual disciplines. You, don't, you don't, don't just stir up your heart and then kind of leave that there and move on with your day. It's taking that with you throughout the day. It's being with a person and then taking that joy in person with you throughout the day. When I pray and read scripture, I want to feel God's delight in me. I want to experience that. That's what I would encourage you to pray for. No one adores you. No one delights in you. No one loves you like your God in heaven through Jesus Christ. Christ provided that access to experience that. And I don't, I don't try to clean up my life to feel God's delight in me. It's the opposite. I feel his delight and then I want to clean up my life. I want to change. That's what brings the change. In fact, that's the last two points. Repent and believe in Christ Jesus as often as needed as a lifestyle. So the Holy Spirit throughout the day as I'm walking with you, he convicts me. I'm, I'm, I'm stressing out too much. I'm worried too much. So the Holy Spirit, so I'm sensitive to his voice and he says, hey, wait, wait, wait. You don't need to be so worried. What's going on here? And so I don't want to grieve. I'm grieving the Holy Spirit through my worry. So I repent and then I believe. God, you're, you're bigger than this problem that I'm facing right now. And now I can worship you. I go from worry to, to worship. So, so you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. And literally, it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, I seek to please the Holy Spirit. So I'm sensitive to his voice. And I find myself maybe saying things, doing things, behaving in ways, thinking thoughts that are contrary to what he would have me think, thinking more according to the flesh than the spirit. See, this, I'm talking to you about the spirit-filled life. And so then I'm able to make those course corrections. I'm able to say, God, help me. Help me. And man, I'm responding in a real hateful way right here. Please help me to respond in a, in a more loving way. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to quench, which means put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, um, 5.19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. So seek to please and seek to listen. When you seek to please and seek to listen, to be led by the Spirit or to be Spirit-filled is to be less worried and more worshipful. It's to be less critical and more constructive. It's to be less bitter to be more forgiving. It's to be less hateful and more loving. I mean, I, I catch myself, but that's, ee, that was hateful. Sometimes my wife catches me, ooh, that was hateful. I go, ee, yeah, it was. Sometimes it takes me a while before I'll actually admit it, okay? And that's another problem, okay? Another problem altogether. It's like, it takes me a while to kind of get to that place, ah, get off my back, okay? I'm still hateful, even in my response. When you tell that I'm, you say that I'm hateful, I'm going to be hateful with that response, okay? So, so less hateful, more loving, less depressed and more joyful, less panicked and more peaceful, less confused, more, more clarity in my life. Less proud, more humble, less defensive and more open and honest, less divisive, and more unity and harmony. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The more you live a spirit-filled life, the evidence will be supernatural. And you cannot help but be different. And the people in your life cannot help but notice. 
Believe me, my wife can notice the difference in my life. She's up close and personal to me. She's seen the difference in my life. I've seen the difference in her life. And it's pretty powerful. That's what I want for you. Next weekend, we wrap up this teaching series, God's, God's Amazing Promises for Healing Our Nation. It's 4th of July weekend. We talk about uh, Second, uh, Second Chronicles 7.14 is our text. You can read that ahead of time. I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any uh, available elders or leaders. If uh, you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you have any questions, we'd love to answer those questions for you. Do you bow your heads with me? Let's just take a moment. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the promise of the Spirit-filled life, the most amazing life we could ever hope or dream to live this side of heaven. We desire to be filled with your Holy Spirit, and we ask that you would fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Fill us now. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Help us to live every day according to your Holy Spirit by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit through spiritual disciplines. Holy Spirit of God, we do not want to grieve you, but to please you in every way. We don't want to quench you in any way, but seek to listen to you every day. May the Spirit-filled life produce in us greater manifestation of your gifts for ministry and fruit for maturity in our lives, all for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Love you guys.